we'll be taking our remarks from <clears throat> Proverbs today, since it's Mother's Day, the 31st chapter, and everyone, I think, is pretty familiar with that, that chapter. We'll be referring to it from time to time. I got to tell you that I'm not particularly qualified to speak on this subject. <clears throat> um, I hate gushing, and I hate uh, to listen to people that get all wrapped up in sentiment, <clears throat> and I try not to do that, but what I am intending to do and what I do intend is to speak the truth. And the truth is kind to mothers. It's good. And so these aren't <clears throat> my feelings. They are the feelings of <clears throat> truth, the truth of God to you, to, toward you. But there's also some very unpleasant things I've said about certain other kinds, and we'll be looking at that. So, I would begin with a quotation from Proverbs, the 31st chapter, that says, a wife of noble character, who can find? Who can find? I'd like to refer you to Genesis, the third chapter, the 20th verse. Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. The word Eve is translated from Hebrew word that means life giver. And it's a little ironic that Adam would be calling, naming his wife Eve the mother of all living at this stage because it is after the fall. And it wasn't just a few moments ago that he was blaming Eve for his own fall. The, the woman that you created gave me the fruit and I did taste of it. But afterwards, in, in Genesis uh, 3.20, he calls his wife, he names his wife Eve. At this stage, Adam could have focused on the negative. She could have been called the mother of all dying, since she was the one who entered his sin into the world. But Adam chose to accentuate the positive. It's true, from this time onward, there would be no life without death. But neither would the, neither could there be life with our death without life, and that's what Adam chose to focus on. According to God's promise, in the fifteenth verse, third chapter of Genesis, woman would someday give birth to the one who would crush the head of the one who had deceived her. It's fitting that she 
who brought the sentence of death upon the world should bear us a redeemer. In the meantime, all of her children are caught up in the struggle between goodness, the goodness of God, and the lies of the evil one, which is to say between life and death. Proverbs 31 now asks an important question concerning the nature of women. The one that we opened with, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth more than rubies. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth more than rubies. We might ask here of all of our ladies, which would you prefer to own a treasure or to be a treasure? As you know, the rest of the the chapter goes on to describe what a treasure the ideal woman was to her family and her husband. It is a portrait of tireless, self-sacrificing, nurturing woman who has compassion for others while still seeming to all of the needs and the comforts of her family. She clothes herself and her family with dignity and brings honor to her husband at the city gates, which is to say in the eyes of the entire community in Israel. In verse 29, it says, Many many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. That's what this man felt about his wife. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Now, he would probably get a lot of argument from a lot of other fathers and husbands, but that's the way he felt, and he just said it out loud. You surpass them all. What kind of world would it be if every man felt that way about his wife? If every family felt their wife and mother surpass all other women, I think it would be a whole different kind of world. I'm tempted to stop there, but we constantly are confronted by another image of womanhood. And we'd like to consider that also as we go along. Verses 30, just after this question, excuse me, this statement, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all, it draws a, a contrast. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let me read that again. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, 
but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The word charm is an interesting word. According to one Bible dictionary, it can mean the gracious effect of of attracting and captivating others. Or, it can also mean a subtle ability to deceive and mislead them. The same word. That's what the writer was getting at when he says charm is deceptive. In, in contrast with fear of the Lord, he's saying charm is often deceptive. In many cases, it is a trait that is cultivated to cover the less attractive attributes of some women. Who can argue with the fact, the additional fact that beauty is fleeting? So is manhood. Nobody can hang on to beauty nor strength. This brings to mind to my mind the opposite of a woman of noble character who is personified by the name Jezebel. So you could have at one one extreme this woman of noble character, you have at the other stream extreme this woman who is called Jezebel. That name is infamously associated with the very worst of the daughters of Eve. To begin with, she had no fear of the Lord. Which is the, the essential attribute of the, <clears throat> that belonged to the woman of, who is worthy of praise. It is the fear of the Lord that made her worthy of praise. Jezebel had no fear of the Lord. In fact, Jezebel did everything in her power to defy God and replace him with her own God, Baal, including trying to hunt down and destroy all of the true prophets of God and anyone else who loved God and remained loyal to him. Her weak-kneed husband, Ahab, was a king of Israel who married in order to form an alliance with another pagan king of of, uh, Sidon. He fell victim to Jezebel's charm and allowed her free reign over all of Israel. One concession she made to, to Ahab on one occasion was having a close neighbor of theirs murdered so that her husband could have a nice vegetable garden. There is an obscure detail concerning Jezebel that I think is particularly revealing God pronounced judgment on Ahab and Jezebel 
after years of corrupt reign, after they had been doing everything they could to, to um, destroy the influence of God in Israel. Ahab has been killed by the time of this verse that I want to share with you. He was killed in his fight with the Aramaeans. We read about it a couple of weeks ago when Micaiah had prophesied that he was going to die. And, and uh, he had Micaiah put in jail. He went to war, tried to disguise himself as a foot soldier, but somebody had just taken a arrow out of his sling, pulled it back and fired it up into the air. That arrow found its way to Ahab's body, which was covered with armor. But it says that arrow found a place between that covering of armor and went into him and caused him to die. And that was because God said he would die in that battle. He did everything he could to live, but God's prophecy concerning him came to pass. After Ahab's death, God commissioned a man named Jehu, who was one of of Ahab's servants, to destroy the entire house of Ahab, leaving no heirs whatsoever to occupy the throne. And in the course of his doing that, after killing Joram, who was second to inherit the throne of Ahab, there was another son that that died before this. God had him put to death. Now Jehu has chased down the second king, son of Ahab, And shot him with an arrow, and he also died. On his way to kill Ahab's remaining sons, he had 70 sons. Here's this Jehu that's on his way to put the rest of them to death. In doing so, he stopped by the city of Jezreel to deal with this woman, Jezebel. She had been staying there. Her son has been reigning, second son since the death of her husband. So Jehu was required to kill Ahab and all of his descendants, and so on his way he stops in at Jezreel to put Jezebel herself to death, which was also prophesied by God. And the telling thing about her nature to me is found in 2 Kings 9 and 30. Now picture Ahab coming in to this city with blood on her, his hands of her own son, He comes up to the tower that she's staying in or to the uh, 
tall building. She's apparently in, on the second floor. And from there, when Jezebel, according to Second uh, Kings 9 and 30, when Jezebel heard about what he had done, what did she do? She put on eye makeup and arranged her hair in order to face him, in order to look out the window. To me, this incident reveals the nature of Jezebel's character, which was she was hoping to charm her enemy into becoming her consort of some sort. She makes herself up in an effort to seduce her, the executioner of her son, her own son. And her, her family's worst enemies. She's trying to make herself attractive, appealing to him. Now all of that, to me, also indicates the tactic of her attempt to seduce Israel away from God. She used pretty girls to entice the fellows into the temple that was dedicated to the worship of Baal. And this is the same practice was very much alive during the early days of the church. Revelations 2, 20 through 23 says, To the angels of the church of Thyatira write, Thyatira was one of the seven churches which were chosen to represent all of the churches of every age. He says, these are the words of the Son of God. Speaking to Thyatira, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. What an incredible uh, resume they have. All of these are exemplary commendations for the church of Thyatira. Their deeds, he, God honors those, Jesus honors those. He mentions their love, their faith. They were all recognized and approved by Jesus. What more could there be in order to have the perfect church? He goes on to say that their service and perseverance were stronger at that time than they were originally. They're growing in service and perseverance. But Jesus adds this, speaking to Thyatira, I have something against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Hundreds of centuries after Jezebel has lived, Jesus sees Jezebel, 
someone who represents or looks like Jezebel in this wonderful church in Thyatira. So someone in their fellowship is trying to use Jezebel's tactics in order to serve Jesus. How utterly preposterous. What could she possibly be teaching that would create that kind of judgment on the part of Jesus? And I don't know what she taught. It isn't told us. But I know what many ordained ministers of today teach, some of them being women ministers. They teach it's okay to terminate your baby's lives in the womb, to cohabit uh, with the opposite sex anytime you choose. Everything sexual, as a matter of fact, is permissible. And they teach that gender dysphoria, dysphoria is a natural state of being. All of this disregards God's purpose in creating humanity, male and female. It was God when he created us in the beginning that created us male and female. And yet modern teachers in many places are teaching the very opposite. So I don't know what this Jezebel back in the day of Jesus was teaching, but I know what's being taught now, and I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't things of a very similar nature. All of this disregards God's purposes. It's tinkering with God's order because they have no fear of God which was the hallmark of an honorable woman. By teaching, by her teaching, Jesus goes on, she misled my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of foods offered to idols and sacrifice. So just as God encouraged those who offered sacrifices on his altar to partake of his goodness along with his attending priests. We've been reading that in the book of Deuteronomy. It was a communion between God and his people and the, the uh, clerics of, his, of that age. And just as they did that, the pagans did the same thing in their temples. Only God's worshipers celebrated the goodness of God by giving thanks and praise and blessings as they partook of the sacrifices that God offered to share with them. While the pagan worshipers engaged in every kind of self-indulgence imaginable, and I think their logic ran something like this. Our gods want us to be happy. So by seeking our own pleasures, by seeking our own pleasures, we can make them happy. It's the best way 
to make them happy and to please them. In the days of Jezebel, beautiful women stood outside the temple, inviting the men into orgies of pleasure, seeking of all kinds. Instead of opening themselves to God, they opened themselves to demons masquerading as gods, according to Paul and several other commentaries. Now, this is a long way, and I just want to make this statement. It's a long way from Paul's admonition about buying meat sold in the marketplace without asking questions about where it came from, if it came from temples, pagan temples. Paul taught God made that meat. You sanctify it by giving him thanks, and you can eat it with a clear conscience. But that's a an inordinate stretch from going into the temple and participating in orgies of sin and self-indulgence. Revelations continues, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her into a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, Unless they repent of their ways, I will strike her children, that means her followers or disciples, dead. Then all the church will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and will pay each of you according to your deeds. The uh, amazing thing to me is it says, unless she repents. God is giving her the grace to repent if she would choose to. By this time, I would think she's gone long ways past that. But God is far more gracious than I am and capable than I am even capable of being. However, even God has a limit to his grace and he's warning them about that. There's another church called Pergamum that was accused of the same sin, only in their case it was associated with the false prophet Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites into sin so that they ate the food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So these are two out of the seven churches that are afflicted with this same element. It's unbelievable that members of Christ's church would fall into such debauchery. Even a small minority would fall into that kind of debauchery in such a short time since Jesus had been crucified. Moses foresaw this very thing in his own day and he warned against it. He says, no Israelite or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. That's in Deuteronomy the thirteenth or the twenty-third chapter, the seventeenth verse. So what do we draw from all of this? Flirtation is not a way to indict to entice anyone into the kingdom of God, let alone offering sexual favors. 
That may sound like an utterly unnecessary thing to say, but it is a very common practice in our day among Christians. Christians often believe they can win others to Christ through their own personality and charm. Do you believe that? Deuteronomy warns against both man and women prostitutes standing before the shrine of the pagan shrine, trying to get people, trying to invite them into that debauchery. Sometimes Christians think that they can get people into the temple of God, get people into the church by using their charm, by using their personalities, and somehow winning, winning people to themselves and then bring them to God. We're being warned not to try that. That doesn't work. One of the biggest mistakes a girl can make in thinking is thinking that she can win a boy to Jesus by dating him or trying to use her charm on him. Many people even marry with that hope in mind, but they generally find out that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. As a result, marriage almost never works as a way to bring someone into the church. I've seen it tried time and time and time again. It doesn't work. You can't win someone with your personality and your charm and bring them to Christ. You have to, they have to decide for God themselves, to fear God themselves. Peter warns the church in 1 Peter 3.3, 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. You see, that's the vanity that Jezebel was leaning on. She wanted to entice people into the temples of Baal. She was trying to entice her enemy when he came to take her life. It was all she had. It's all that she could offer as far as winning people into her temples and trying to get them to worship her gods. She had to entice them. Now, this is not a warning against the, the, uh, the adornments that ladies like to wear. It's a warning against depending on them as your source of attraction and thinking by using your attraction that you're going to get the blessings of God or Peter continues, he says, rather it, and when he says it, he's talking about your charm, rather than being, you know, all gussied up, 
He said, your adornment should be that of the inner self, the unfaded, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn, to adorn themselves. Now Sarah and Rebecca were so attractive that their husbands were afraid to be seen with them. Does God love beauty? Of course he does. And Esther won a worldwide beauty contest that she wasn't even interested in competing in. Is God against beauty? Of course not. But none of those women or any of the women of God sought to merchandise their extraordinary beauty for any reason at all, any other cause. Rather, they relied upon their fear and their faith in God as the deepest point of attraction to their families. Proverbs again, 31.30, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 31, 28 through 31. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also. He praises her. Many women, again, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Again, that statement. You can pity the career woman who sacrifices herself for achievement or even noble causes, because although they are extremely valued and they achieve many awards, they may be greatly, greatly honored in the community, they will never be treasured like the mother and the wife of a family. She is worth more than rubies, according to the scripture. How many rubies? All the rubies in the world. That's my opinion. Luke 1, 46 says, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary was right. No other woman has been so revered in all of human history. There are countless numbers of people who even worship her unwisely, in my opinion. But everyone values and appreciates 
her. Why? Because she believed God. Because she feared the Lord. Because God chose her to be the mother of our Savior. Not because she was full of herself. She doesn't appear to be full of her own dreams, her own ambitions, her own desires, her own demands. As she speaks of her humble estate as God's servant. He has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. Yet Mary fulfilled the promise made Concerning the mothers of all living, Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking about Satan, and between her offspring, your offspring, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan did strike the heel of Jesus at Calvary. And wounded him deeply. But Jesus crushed the head. Of that lying serpent. Which made Mary the conduit. For the salvation of the whole world. So Adam was correct when he says. You are that she is the. When he named her. The mother of all living. Adam's sons. Had nothing to do with this did they but it was a seed of woman it was this young maiden who was overlooked by everyone but who is faithful to the Lord who fears the Lord who becomes the greatest heroine of all the ages and has saved the world forget about Napoleon And all of the other great men who have marched into battles, it was Mary who saved the world. Eve's daughter played this incredible role. What did it consist of? What made her the most important person on this planet? The most important individual. I'm not talking about Jesus, who is the Son of God. Mary was the most important, made the greatest contribution to this world than any other human being has made because she was submissive to God. She feared the Lord. And to be absolutely honest, I see nothing exceptional when I read the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't see anything exceptional about Mary's motherhood. She did nothing that any other mother doesn't do for their family. which is not to diminish Mary, but to elevate motherhood. Mary's secret was, the mighty one has done great 
things for me. The mighty one, God Almighty, has done great things for me. In choosing me to honor and to bear his only begotten son. He has done great things for me. Not I for him, but he for me. She didn't do anything to deserve all of this. She was a humble maiden. God chose her because she feared him and she was obedient to him. And so he made this wonderful, wonderful gift to her life, elevated her to being the channel of salvation to the whole world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. She was the channel of the Savior. Proverbs asks again, a wife of noble character who can find? Then it adds, the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I've always hated these kind of mushy sermons. But the fact is, as you inspire, as you aspire to nurture life, your, tod- your title as the daughter of Eve is rightly chosen. You are the mother of all who live. You are the mothers, plural, of all who live and especially of those who live eternally, those of you who are Christian mothers, can be, you offer the opportunity for your children to live forever. You talk about mother of all living, that's the ultimate of all, of all living, is living eternally. And because of that, you are treasured by your families, and by this church who seeks to honor you this day. You are worth to us more than any amount of treasure. We would pay everything for you, each of you, each one of you, if it was necessary to ransom you. You are worth Not only rubies, you're worth all of the gems that exist to us. Because you have been a channel of life to us. And some of us have been channeled, you have channeled Jesus into our lives, so... We thank you and appreciate you and bless you. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to have a meal immediately after the service. And the let me rephrase that: after the service, whether it's immediate or not. Um, but mothers, we honor you, ladies. We honor you because you have chosen the way of God and not the way of charm. 
in other words, of Jezebel, you have chosen the fear of the Lord. And that's a hard person to find. Who can find such a woman? Well, we have. And they're out there. But you're not going to find them everywhere, are you? Too many going the way of Jezebel, trying to flirt their way through life and use their charms to get what they want. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for each of the ladies that are here, the ladies who are mothers, the, the, their daughters that are someday going to be mothers, that aspire to be that. We thank you, God, that they are a important channel of life to all of us. And we ask you, Father, to bless them in a very, very special way today because we have taken this time to consider you because we fear you, Lord. We honor you. We respect you, God. And that makes them a treasure our wives and our and husbands, a treasure on the earth. God bless each of you.